It's lovely to see you all this morning. If you're new here today, I see a few new faces. I want to really, really welcome you. There's pressure in my house today because my wife got Wordle in two goes. So I haven't had my attempt today. I'm going to have to spend the rest of the day just trying to like, I don't know how I'm going to better that, to be honest. But um, you can be praying for me, please. <laughs> um, so just quickly, something really personal. I just wanted to mention this. I felt, um, just wanted to say that yesterday, I was actually with my grandmother, and she was telling me that um, so my grandfather passed away 30 years ago. I was having this conversation with her, and, and he passed away 30 years ago today, and uh, he was a preacher, and uh, I was speaking with my nana, and she told me that uh, he, was a lay, he was a lay preacher. He worked long hours for the Ormo Bakery serving bread, and he would have been preparing his sermons as he delivered the bread during the week, and he'd have preached every Sunday. And the week before he died, as he was kind of suffering from cancer, she said that he preached 48 Sundays out of 52, morning and night. And his promise to the Lord was that as long as he had breath, he would preach the gospel. So I want to dedicate... <laughs> Did not expect that, goodness. I want to dedicate that to my, my papa, Leslie Armstrong. I'm not sure uh, I would be here today if uh, it wasn't for his legacy. So God bless our mothers and fathers, the generations before who have carried the faith because we do not make it up. We inherit it from generation to generation. Whew, breather, let's move on. So we're in this series uh, in the parables of Jesus. And we're going to dump, dive into another one this week. These are uh, small stories with big ideas, big Implications. Jesus loved to tell these stories about seed, about soil, about farmers and merchants and builders and bandits and all of that. And so we're going to dive into another one in the way. I've been thinking about that and describing that. Um, and uh, Stephanie and Dan too have been thinking about these stories and how they kind of get under our skin. They kind of seem like innocuous stories, but they kind of like just resonate, sit in the mind. And at some point there's a kind of time bomb kind of that goes off and it's like, oh, Jesus was not talking about seeds and bandits and farmers he was talking about the kingdom of God. He was talking about these, these big ideas of what it means to be people of faith. And, um, and so the question I've been encouraging us, and we've been encouraging one another to think about as we uh, reflect on the parables, is where do you find yourself in this story? I want you to hold that question in your mind today and open your Bibles to Luke 18. It'll be on the screen behind me. We're going to read the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Um, I'm going to read it from the NRSV version, um, if you're looking that up on your Bible app. Here we go. So he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Thieves, rogues, and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector standing far off would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. Gracious God, we just pray that you would meet us here today. Would you help us believe that you have something to say to our hearts and our minds today, something to trust, something to find comfort in, something to surrender to. Lord, may you encourage us 
in all the complexity of life and the beauty and the mess, Lord, would you speak to us? Would you bring a reminder of your renewing and redeeming love? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Parables are never easy. They're like these little puzzles. And yet some of the easy ones come up like this one. You kind of think, goodness, that's an easy one to understand. I'm pretty sure we've got two characters in the parable, the Pharisee and the tax collector. There's good guys and bad guys. And so the principle is be like the good guy. But it's not really that simple. And uh, renowned biblical scholar Amy Jill Levine, I recommend her little book, Short Stories, on Je- uh, Short Stories of Jesus on the parables. Um, she says that we Christians don't often really get and understand the Pharisees. Now, for many Christian readers, she says the Pharisee, you know, the one in his own context back then when Jesus would have been speaking, would have been right, regarded as righteous and would have been respected, is instead seen as a, well, we kind of see Pharisees as negative figures. I think we wallowing in hypocritical sanctimoniousness um, is what she says, but this would not have been how it would have been heard or seen in Jesus' time. Pharisees were actually well-respected and even revered. In fact, she goes on to say there's a danger that we can kind of lazily portray Pharisees in our mind negatively. Um, Jesus' audience actually would have seen the Pharisees as honorable, respectable people, respected leaders who actually walked the walk and talked the talk. In fact, if we kind of conflate Pharisee with hypocrite, you know, she even says we may be in danger of a kind of anti-Semitic sentiment there. The Pharisees were respected leaders in the law, Jewish, following the law of God, walking the walk and talking the talk. And so maybe perhaps today as we reflect on this story, maybe we should just think of this particular story, this particular Pharisee that Jesus is talking about, who's perhaps not quite um, living up to what he's called to. Maybe this is a fake Pharisee. Or maybe this is a hypocritical Pharisee, but not all Pharisees were indeed like that. So let's hold that in our minds. Conversely, the second character in our story is the tax collector. Now, this is a person who would have been considered a sinful traitor of his country, a real turncoat. Um, I mean, this is a person who would have been collecting taxes on behalf of Rome, on behalf of the empire, um, probably cheating people along the way as they did it, it would have been one of the most exploitive and lucrative jobs for for a first century Jew to have. You could probably think of it like working for the mafia or something like that, that kind of thing. Very lucrative, very exploitive. And so we have these two people, a Pharisee and a tax collector, and they're both praying. And what would have struck the audience in this story would have been Well, firstly, that the Pharisee was praying in such a self-righteous way, but also that the tax collector was praying at all. That would have been the shock. The Pharisee's prayer, of course, it's not great, is it? It's it's pretty awful, the self-righteous attitude. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, the thieves and rogues and adulterers, or even this tax collector. It's not exactly a prayer of gratitude, for what God has done. Instead, it's a comparison exercise that demonstrates a prideful heart. And we we also know that comparison is the thief of joy, don't we? We kind of know that. And then he moves on to make a humble brag, as we might say, you know, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all my income. God bless, what a guy. This is religious flexing. (laughs) This is like, aren't I great? And here we have the tax collector compared 
And the tax collector is standing afar, beating his breast and beating his breast and prays, God be merciful to me, a sinner. That's it. That's the whole prayer. Um, there's no comparison in that prayer. It, this is a prayer that addresses God and calls on God's mercy. His prayer, the tax collector's prayer, is deeply reliant upon the character of God. The Pharisee's prayer is really focused on his own character. Luke actually alludes to this quite a lot in some of the parables when he speaks about prayer, this idea that you're actually banking your life on the character of God. It's actually God's goodness. We've been singing about it today, God's mercy, God's goodness. And that's what the tax collector is doing. So we've got, that's the first thing from this parable. We've got both people praying, and both people are in the temple. So there's a place of worship, which probably means that there's tax collectors and Pharisees in this place of worship this morning. In fact, some weeks I'm the tax collector, and some weeks I'm the Pharisee. Perhaps this morning there's both in me. Where do you find yourself in the story today? We go back and forth looking at our own selves and our own lives, looking at our performance, and then hopefully we realize, goodness, we're more of a mess than we thought. We throw ourselves in the mercy of God and back and forward and back and forward. And in a sense, that is life. We are kind of complex, but both are praying, both are in the temple, and both are, are sinners. Both are, that word sinner, goodness, that's, that's a big word. And it's often associated perhaps with guilt and with shame. And it's maybe we even associate it in our minds today with the kind of hell and fire and brimstone kind of really preaching. We've maybe seen the worst kind of, and I, and I, I get that. But, but we shouldn't discard the word because Jesus uses the word. We should understand the, the word. God have mercy on me, a sinner. Because there's something about this that the truth um, that we are indeed this, this kind of beautiful mess. There's a complexity to us. We're made in the image of God. That is the first word about us. The goodness that is spoken over our lives, that we're good, and yet we are mired in this brokenness and this limit, limitedness. And we don't have to go far even in these days, just to our TV screens to see how broken and how real the dehumanizing effect of this thing that's called sin is. And yet there's a paradoxical hope in the parable and indeed in the gospel. And here is what it is, and I suppose this is the big thing for us to take away today, that it's actually an acknowledging and naming the sin that actually leads to healing and to cleansing. There's a liberation that comes. The truth sets us free. It's only an avoidance of the truth that we entrap ourselves. There's something about the power of naming all that seeks to, de de to dehumanize us that is liberating, believe it or not, even though it feels like a, it feels like a hard thing to do. But the tax collector gets that. God have mercy on me, a sinner. There's a beautiful quote that kind of, kind of defines sin that I came across this week. Just, I think it should come up on the screen. Just. Uh, let's read this along. It says this, that sin is the refusal, is a refusal to become fully human. It's anything that interferes with the opening up of my whole heart to God and to others and to creation and to myself. Sin is estrangement, disconnection, sterility, disharmony. 
It's the slow accumulation of dust choking the heart. It's the sludge that slows me down and says, quit, stop walking, lie down, change is impossible. Sin is like apathy, carelessness, a frightened resistance to an engaged life, a frightened resistance to an engaged life. That is a powerful line. Sin is the opposite of creativity, the opposite of abundance, the opposite of flourishing. It is a walking death. It's my life, which is precious to God, dying. That's why Christ came to overthrow death, because sin is death. It's the dying of all that God came to bring, which is life and flourishing. And Jesus said, I come to bring life and life to the full. And of course, the Jesus Project, his mission on earth, the thing we know is the kingdom of God, is actually about the renewal, not just of our hearts, but of all of creation. When we look at Matthew 19, Jesus says this, truly I say to you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne. There's, a, there's this word renewal in Matthew 19, this description of what Jesus is actually coming to do, the renewal of all things. That word for renewal actually means again, and it's kind of the root of two words. It means again and beginning. It's kind of like that echoing back to Eden. All that was restored and renewed, could it be possible? Could this be the kind of dreams that we dream as the people of God when we look at our world today, that God will renew the whole of the world? Christians and religious people talk a lot about the afterlife in heaven, but Jesus is really, really committed to a renewal of all things, including the earth. The recreation of the world when the world is made new, a breathtaking and shocking and heartbreakingly beautiful hope today. Kingdom of God, Jesus came to inaugurate. The beginning of this has begun. Let me let you into a little secret. I read this this week too and I thought it was beautiful. That our hearts, your heart, only thrives in one place and it's that place. Your heart only thrives in one place, and it's the kingdom of God, shalom. And so this is why the naming is important. Jesus talks about the tax collector who inherits life in the kingdom, the one who calls out to the God of mercy with his sin and with his brokenness. He goes there. He goes to that place. He acknowledges his sins. He is, a, he is a turncoat. He is a conspirator with the empire. And yet he's there in the courts of the temple and he is humble before God and he seeks forgiveness. And that's what the end of the parable says, that God exalts that kind of person as the one that goes home justified. That's the one who receives life and life to the full. And so this is why the naming of our sin and our brokenness is not a threat to our faith, but it's the pathway to healing and liberation. We do not protect our faith or ourselves by comparing ourselves to others and pretending. But when we name our jealousy and our pride and our selfishness and our lies and our complicity and our judgmental attitudes, that's actually a pathway. It may feel like death, but it's a pathway to liberation and to life and to healing. It's quite a personal way to think about sin. But sin is much bigger, and we've been talking about the renewal of all things, because when we look at the world around us, the injustices, the brokenness, the sectarianism, the war, the violence, the Christian nationalism, the racism, the homophobia, the hatred of the other, the economic injustice, 
when we graciously and prophetically name these things, this is not a threat to our faith or the church or our lives to stare that in the face and name it, but it is the pathway to true liberation, to call injustice out where we see it. That's what Jesus came to do when he opened the scroll and read from Isaiah, to liberate the captives. We should not fear the truth, but see it as the mercy of God coming to rush in and renew and redeem and liberate and heal not only our hearts, but this whole world. Amen. And here's where the rubber hits the road, I guess. We're going to get into the discussion groups, if I can kind of wrap this up soon. I think it starts with us. I think you change the world by just letting God change you. I'm really convinced about that. It starts with us being people that are humble, that are anchored in the goodness of God, in prayer, on our knees before God, naming our shadow, naming our sins, and receiving the mercy of God as a pathway to freedom, to be free from all of it, to move into true freedom and flourishing. That is the hope of the gospel. Often we can point out there, and we should, but also it starts with us. It's, all, it's a both and. I can never get this quote out of my head, and it's probably appropriate today. Alexander Solonitsyn, who's a Russian novelist. He's one of the most famous Soviet dissidents. He was a very outspoken critic of communism. And he wrote this, that the, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, or between classes, or between political parties, but right through every human heart. Pharisee and the tax collector. I'm both. Maybe you're both. Where do you find yourself today? This parable just undoes all of our notions about who is right and wrong. and causes us to throw ourselves, not on our own character, not on judging others, but on the, the mercy of God. The mercy of God, and that is how the world is changed, with the humble ones, with the servant-hearted people. Romans talks about God's kindness being the path that leads to repentance, this big idea of changing our minds, naming and acknowledging our prejudices. And I believe that it's actually when we begin to do that, when we live as a humble people, when we live on the mercy of God all the time, that we actually cultivate a radical compassion for our world, for the other. We may even begin to build tables of inclusion and acceptance. We swim in the vast oceans of God's scandalous grace through Christ's forgiveness and work to make room for all the saints and the sinners around that table. Self-righteousness that leads to pride and arrogance and judgment and ultimately Judgment and pride of the other. Humility throws itself on the character and grace of God that leads to acceptance and love of the other. And that's how we play our part in the renewal of all things. It begins with us, the gospel. This is the gospel. Saints and sinners. And this is glorious good news for the Pharisee in me and for the tax collector in me. And it's glorious good news for the, for the Pharisee in you and the tax collector in you. 
because Jesus turns the table and there's no good guys or bad guys. It's just throw yourself on the mercy of God. Those who are humble, God will exalt. So as we get real, as we get truthful, as we name not only our own shadows, but the injustices in our society, that's the place where healing comes. That's the place where liberation comes. That's the prophetic act of the Christian church. And that's where the kingdom of God arrives on earth as it is in heaven. I'd love us to get into discussion groups and kick.